If you would, join me in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers this morning, we're going to return to that study. I, uh, I was visiting with some folks yesterday, and I mentioned to them that today about 90% of the preachers in the United States would have something to preach about. The incidents that are going on in the Middle East. So many view this as prophecy being fulfilled. I can tell you this, that there is no more of God's direction in the election of a dog catcher than there is in what's going on in the Middle East right now. He has it all in his purpose. And scare tactics have never saved anyone. Scaring people into the kingdom of heaven has never saved anyone. Educating people into the kingdom of heaven has never saved anyone. The preaching of hell has never saved anyone. It is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the gospel of his free and sovereign grace that reaches out to us. And as our speaker this last week said, it's the gentleness. It's God's great gentleness towards us. Because if he took his wrath out on us, we would be of all people most miserable. Here in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, Numbers chapter 25, there are several incidences in this book that have been uh, so interesting in many ways and so sad in other ways. But here in the book of Numbers, chapter 25 and verse 9, Chapter 25 and verse 9. For three chapters, we have watched Balaam uh, attempt to do all he could do to curse Israel. And he's paid or would be paid dearly. And God only worked out blessings for Israel. But in the camp of Israel, some distance away, we read as we begin this chapter that the, the religion of Moab had been brought in. And they're worshiping again idols. You know, the whole account of Israel traveling through the wilderness has been a ministry of worshiping idols so often. And we wonder about that. But here in verse 9 it says, And those that died in the plague were 24,000. 24,000 God brought into a plague. And they died as a result of what we read in verses 1 through 8. And I, I sometimes, it, it struck me, how in the world with all that they saw could they do this? And you know, we come to the conclusion, as all of the Old Testament prophets and all of the New Testament writers, the Lord gave them a point of beginning when it came to their salvation and it came to their writings that they understood the desperateness of the fall. And as they wrote, they wrote that there is only one hope for all of the desperateness of the fall, and that is the free and sovereign grace of God. They're writing about people that are lost and desperately lost. 
They are dead in trespasses and sin. And we find that played out so often in the scriptures. You know, once in a while, in the book of Numbers even, we find that there are some people that didn't go along with the crowd. And what made the difference with them? What was it that caused them to stand firm with the Lord? Well, the Lord had his arm around them so they wouldn't fall. But turn with me, if you would, in the book of Numbers just a little bit back. We covered this some time ago, but in verse or chapter 14, chapter 14 of the book of Numbers and verse 24, we have a person, and you know, to many people, Caleb is just a very special guy that didn't go along with all the rest of the stuff. And people have put him on a pedestal and said, well, he must have had some inherent goodness in him because God paid special attention to him and that he had this going on and he was able to stand against the children of Israel that were coming up against Moses as they came back from the spine out of the land. But we find that the scriptures are very plain to tell us why Caleb was able to do this. And it tells us here in the book of Numbers chapter 20, or chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, now that's an honor to be called a servant of the Most High God. Not everybody is a servant of God, but Caleb is spoken of that way because he had what? Another spirit with him. God had worked a work of grace in him. This man was someone different than all of the rest. And all of these that have that difference was not able to go along with the rest of the plan. We find that God was there and there was a remnant according to the election of grace, even among Israel. And Caleb was one of them. It says, because he had another spirit with him and hath, not, hath followed me fully with him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. So the Lord said, this man has another spirit. What's the problem over here? What's the problem in chapter 25? What's going to be the problem with the rest of the Bible? We find that there are people that fell in Adam. They're dead in trespasses and sin. And as much as they want to be religious and are, they cannot get past the point unless God saved them. You know, there's a passage of scripture, and turn with me to the book of 2 Kings, if you would. 2 Kings chapter 6. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we're very familiar with this passage of scripture. We find a servant of one of the great prophets of the Old Testament that couldn't see. He couldn't see the protection that God had given this prophet. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, 2 Kings chapter 6, and there in verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 15, there's a prophet, and this is such an illustration about the new birth. There, it just can't be seen. We just can't see the blessings that God has. And we are caught in the trap of our fall to do what we find the rest of those people in Israel did there in chapter 25. When something new came along, they followed it. When something new came along, they went after it. It hasn't been that long, 40 years, and we find that they're building a golden calf and worshiping it. Are they different than us by nature? Not in the least. They're not different than us. And here we have 40 years later, they're going after the religion of Moab. They're not different than anybody else. 
And the only difference that is ever made in anybody is the activity of Almighty God in them. Here we find in chapter 6 and verse 15 of the book of 2 Kings that there is an individual that is blind and cannot see what the prophet can see. Cannot see what spiritual blessings he has. And it's going to take an act of God for him to be able to see the blessings that the prophet has. Do you know that surrounding every one of God's children is a hedge and by it God protects them? We find here that there is a hedge about the prophet. There are more for us, the prophet said, than therefore are for them. Here it says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host can pass the city both with horses and chariots. We have the enemy at the gates. <laughs> we have the city surrounded. We heard about that this morning as Jerusalem was surrounded by Roman soldiers in A.D. 70. And there were so many in that city that could not see past that. I'm convinced there were a few, and they may have been the ones that escaped and got out. But here it says, Behold, a host can pass the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, what are we going to do? The whole host is camped against us. We have this whole army against us. How are we going to get out of the mess we're in? Well, he answered, fear not. That is the message of gentleness. That's the message of grace. Fear not. The host, he says, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Well, how can that be? I see the host out here. I see the chariots. I see the horses. I see the soldiers. I see that we're surrounded and they're coming for us. That's their order is to come for us and to take us. And then Elisha, verse 17, prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes. My goodness, that should be our prayer for our children and grandchildren. Lord, open their eyes. They'll never be able to see anything unless you do that. We cannot convert them. We cannot convince them. We cannot redeem them. We cannot do anything for them. It, we, we say the host is greater for us than for them, but they can't see. Lord, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, Jehovah, open his eyes. He's the only one that has the ability of giving sight to the dead that he may see. Oh, he can't see now. Might he see? Please, God, open his eyes. And the Lord, now the Lord had already promised to do this in the council halls of eternity, but by the preaching of the gospel and declaring that more for us than for them, we find that the Lord was pleased at this time to do what he'd already promised to do, and that is to open the eyes of his servant that he may see, and the Lord opened his eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, what did he see? He says there, behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. 
Now, this is far more greater and far more powerful than those horses that are physical and those chariots that are physical. In fact, we find the Lord Jesus says, fear not those who can take your life. That's not an issue. But fear him who is able to take your life and your soul for eternity. Judge at that last day. So we find what a blessed thing we witness here. It's just as real to believers today to see what Elisha prayed and what God blessed. And this young man was able to see that there was great protection for Elisha and he would not be turned over without the very permission of Almighty God. And the blessing was there. Well, this is so true for all of us. Oh, someone prayed. Norm, let him see. Let him see. And God was pleased to let me see beyond the end of my nose and see spiritual things And that only comes because God is pleased to give the new birth. We cannot see the kingdom of God without the new birth. We can't visualize it. We have all kinds of messes about it. You know, religion takes the Bible and just turns it into a mess because it's always physical. It's always of the flesh. Religion would tell us that when we take the bread and the wine, we're actually eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. And what foolishness is that? We are taking a symbol of his body and a symbol of his bread, but we would worship Christ. Well, as we look at these things, we find that in Israel, there were a few Israelites. And that, please, that's what the Bible says. In all of that host that was doing all of that mess and worshiping idols and going through all of those things, and we find that there was one man that stopped it, put an end to it, and God will, we probably won't get there today, but God said, I will give him a covenant of peace. Now that's what we're looking for. You know, we'll never have peace in this world. You just go through history and we find that there have been wars and rumors of wars from the very beginning. We have people going after other people from the very beginning. From Cain and Abel down to this very day, there has been such unsettlement against individuals on this earth towards other individuals on this earth. It is our character and it is our nature to be warfaring. And we will carry it out. The All you have to, I I see these stickers that say, uh, don't bully. All you have to do is mention to someone that says, don't bully, a view that they don't believe in, and they'll bully you. I'll guarantee you. And it happens all the time in religion. Oh, we, we love everybody. Well, I don't believe in your free will. What are you talking about? Well, the scriptures share with us that of all, out of all the hosts that has ever been born, that God has a people like Caleb, and God has a people like Elisha, and God has a people that he opens their eyes of. So I would like to spend some time this morning on this wonderful subject that was such a blessing to me when God saved me, and I found out who true Israel is, and who God truly loves, and who God gave his son for, 
and that it wasn't for a people that owned some property. It was for a people that God loved before the foundation of the world, and he purposed to have his son come and die for. Now, I appreciate this morning as, as Jesus looked around, he could tell everybody <laughs> He could see their hearts that would never be changed and he was not involved in changing it. And he could see those who he would and grant salvation and cause them to see. And they would be different individuals, just like Saul of Tarsus. So would you turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Galatians chapter 3. I'd like to look at a few verses of scripture that share with us who true Israel is and who God died for. I don't want to... have an idol out of anything but the Lord Jesus. You know, the man who brought me the gospel was accused one time by a preacher. He said, you've just turned Jesus into an idol. And Brother Henry said, that's one of the kindest words anybody's ever told me. To have Jesus as my object of worship? Think about it. What else would we want? but Jesus as our object of worship. All right, in the book of Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to be spending most of our time that's left here in the New Testament and looking at the difference between there's a man that's going to take upon himself, and he's such a picture of Christ, Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, and we'll get to that in another study. He's such a picture of Christ. that it is such, The outcome is that I will grant to him a covenant of peace. Now, Christ is the only place we can have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our peace. Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. As we look at the difference that God has made These are God's words. This is the word of God. This is the word that God gave to men to write. And they were all believers, holy men of God, spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These men did not sit down and say, I think I'll write a book and we're going to put it in the Bible. God moved upon them. And God caused them to write his word in some way. And it was preserved enough that today we could have a translation of it. How many in here can read Greek? How many can read Hebrew? Thank God for translations. (laughs) All right. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith. Now where does our faith come from? If we say it's our faith, it is manufactured faith and it isn't worth a nickel before God because our faith will fail. That man that was a servant of that prophet had some sort of faith. He went to his master and said, what are we going to do? But he didn't have faith of God's elect until it's demonstrated God opened his eyes. All right, it says here in verse 7, Know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. I get to be a child of Abraham. 
I am a child of Abraham. He has extended faith to me. And he said that that, we're going to find, that's the true Israel. That's the people that worship God. That's the people that have a new heart. That's the people the covenant of grace was for. That's the people that he came to die for. That's the one he saw when he looked around and he saw Jews and Gentiles that make up his church. This is the Israel. Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. And so those that God grants faith to, they are as if they were the children of Abraham. Goes on to tell us in that very passage of scripture there in verse 8, it says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen. Who's that? You and I, Gentiles. You and I, Gentiles. The scriptures call us, what? Heathen. Take it as a blessing. Justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham. What gospel? The same gospel that we preach today. God does not change the gospel over time and for different people. He doesn't say, well, I think this people would be more allured by this and this people would be more allured by this. Nobody's going to be allured by the gospel. You know what we're all going to do? It's not for me. We are enmity against God. Thank God he does not give up on his people. And he will bring them in. And I will be very sure to share you this, that when the last of God's people that are marked out by God, that he knows that belong to him, that are even yet unborn, maybe, when the last one has brought the gospel and God grants them faith and they believe the gospel, when the last one is done, this world will be wrapped up and not before and not after. We're not counting on something happening over in Israel. We're counting on God. He is faithful to his people. And these things, there's no difference between what's happening over there today than the election of a dog catcher when it comes to God supervising all things. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Turn with me to the book of Romans, if you would. We're going to be back and forth, Romans, Philippians. So we're going to spend most of our time here in the New Testament. Romans chapter 9. How, what comfort it is to find that God has a people and he calls them, he calls them spiritual Israel. They're the ones the covenant of grace was for. He made a covenant with those guys that we read about in Numbers. He, read a, he made a covenant with those guys that we read about in Leviticus. He made a covenant with them. And he tells us, two or three times emphatically in the scriptures that since they did not keep their part, I regarded that covenant not. I regarded them not. I don't have to hold that covenant up anymore. I don't have to keep it because they didn't keep their side. You know, the blessings of the everlasting covenant is you and I were not involved in it. We're the recipients of it, but we're not involved in it. You know, if we'd have been involved in it in our lost estate, we'd have voted against it. 
And people still vote against the covenant of grace. I don't want that. I'm free. I can do what I want. But the covenant of grace made before the foundation of the world was between the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they agreed in their great majesty, in their great omnipotency, in their great infinity, they agreed as three and one to carry out the promise to save a people from their sin before Adam is ever created. They had a purpose, and they're going to carry out that purpose. You know, God can say what he will do, but he has the power to carry it out. We can say what we want to do, but we don't sometimes have the power to do it. I'm going to be at the store at 10 o'clock, and I ran out of gas and didn't make it. I didn't have the power to get there. Well, when it comes to spiritual things, aren't you pleased, thankful to Almighty God that he has a covenant, and he's going to carry it out, and there's nobody's going to interfere with it. He's going to carry it out, and he will carry it out for all the people that are in that covenant of grace. Well, here in the book of Romans, chapter 9, verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Now, I was taught in Sunday school that everybody in Israel was saved because it says, now all Israel shall be saved. You know, when you're saved, you find out that people make the word of God say things that it was never intended to say. All Israel, spiritual Israel, shall be saved, but many we read concerning those in the book of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, those people, we read about them, and they did not have faith, and they all died in unbelief. God said that. Most people don't hear that, but God said that. They died in unbelief. What does that mean? They'll stand before him on the left-hand side. They'll be no different than Judas. They'll be no different than Pilate. They'll be no different than anybody else that's standing on the left-hand side. They refused Christ. All right? Goes on here. Neither, verse 7, because they are the seed of Abraham. Are they all children? What a statement. My goodness, what free it is. I don't have to worship Israel. I can worship God. Now, I am a friend of Israel. And this is the reason why. The only reason why. To me, and I'm very ignorant of world politics, but to me... They're the only semblance of a democracy in the whole area. It isn't because I like their religion, because I don't. It isn't because I worship them because the Bible says I am. It is the same about other people that have some interest in their people being free. Well, I've been told that Israel doesn't have much freedom. But they're the semblance. All right, enough said. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are of the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. But the children of promise are counted for seed. These are not the children of God, the children of the flesh. Turn with me back to the book of Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. We read these words about the subject of what was the difference made between those that went along continuously and all the time. I'm not saying that God's people will not have problems in their lives. And sin will be a great problem. 
but it will not be an everyday downfall. God will recover his people. He'll not let us fall. Though we stumble, he'll not let us fall. He'll bring us back. He did that with Peter. He did that with Moses. He did that with David. He did that with great sinners found in the scriptures. With Judas, he didn't do anything for. And others, he did nothing for. They stood on their own, and they died before God, a sinner. Here in the book of Galatians chapter 3, let me get there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. If you be Christ's. Now that's the difference. If you be the church, that's the difference. If God poured out his grace on you, if God poured out his love on you, if God brought you from darkness to light, that makes the children of God Abraham's seed. Going back to the book of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 28, we read these words about this great subject of who is the church, who are the children of God. In verse 28 of Romans chapter 2, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. It is of no value. There is no benefit in it. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcised is circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit. What does that mean? Born again. That's what that means. Born again ones. These are the children of God. He's the Jew, which is one inwardly, has a spirit as Caleb did, had another spirit about him. This is so valuable. In the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. We praise God for what he has done. That's our hope. He is our hope. And again, would you turn with me to the book of Philippians? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We look at this subject as it's so plainly carried out to the scripture. We observe it in the Old Testament so often. We find that God said, I'll give you a new heart. God said, I'll give you a circumcision of the heart. God says, I must give you the new birth. I cannot, nobody is going to escape this world without that. Nobody will ever see God without that. And here in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. The things that I do, are ineffectual. I am thankful for his promise to the church that you are my workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which I have before ordained that you walk in them. He's the one that holds us up by our belt. He's the one that holds us up by our bootstraps. He's the one that holds us up under the arms. He's the one that keeps us moving in his direction. He's the one that says, I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He's the one that is our support. He's the one that has given us life. He is it. And he's the one that we are called on to worship. And he's the one that set us in the church. And he's the one that says, you are my family. 
spiritual Israel. Turn with me if you get. Going back to the book of the Psalms, a couple passages over there in the book of the Psalms. Even the psalmist wrote of this great truth. And so often, as we find even in, in Isaiah, he said, I'm going to take the gospel to the isles. I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And you know what? Those people at the days of Christ didn't believe a word of that. They were very picky about what they read too. They were very picky. They had pen knives and they cut out a whole bunch of the scripture. They could not get the idea that God's word would be taken to the Gentiles, that he had elect among the Gentiles too. Isaiah wrote about it. He's quite thorough about it. Well, here in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, this message goes on about how God has and does his business. In verse 1, a psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel. Let's not stop there. Even to such are of a clean heart. Oh boy. There's a qualification mark there, isn't there? Who is Israel? Those who have a clean heart. How did they get that? Oh, I walked out. Nope. I was born again. I was born again. That's God's promise in the covenant of grace. I will give you a new heart. Listen to a preacher just recently, and he said, people all over, preachers all give your heart to Jesus. God doesn't want your heart. He'll give us a new heart. All right? And then in that same book, Psalms 148. Psalm 148. Turn with me to Psalm 148. And verse 14. Now I'm just, in the time we have, we have to pick and choose. It'd be great someday to start with Genesis 1-1 and end up with Revelation chapter 20. <laughs> Wouldn't get much done, but for three or four days, would we? Anyway, verse 14. He also exalteth the horn of his people the praise of all his saints, even the children of Israel, a people near unto him, praise ye the Lord. Psalm 148, 14, he says, those my people, saints are my people. They're the children of Israel. They're near unto me. Praise ye the Lord. And that's what God's people do. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, and there in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We read these words. Wherefore, remember this. No, many years ago, the pastor who brought me the gospel says, Norm, never, ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget the stone you were hewn from. Don't ever forget the pit you were drawn from. Don't ever. Well, if you step in my office, if you get at the right angle, you can see some pictures of my hometown. They're there to be a reminder. Not from the place, but the situation I was in when he found me. Dead in trespasses and sin. No different than anybody else that's ever been saved. With the ground is level at the cross. Nobody comes any other way. Here in the book of 
Ephesians chapter 2, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's where we all were. Nobody's exempt from this. This is where we are. This is where we were, depending on your perspective. And now, he says there, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Now that's that enmity we had, and he's abolished it. Why? Because God poured out his enmity on his son. The laws of commandments contain in ordinances for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. What's he saying? I have some Jews and I have some Gentiles, but you know what? I'm going to put them in one pile. They're going to be one family. And they will get along because they have the same Father and they have the same salvation and they have the same grace and they have the same hope. And nobody is going to be arguing about, oh, you're Jew and I'm Gentile. No, it will be cast away. We'll not, decide, we'll not argue over, as we find the Apostle Paul was led to write, bond or free. Oh, you were just a slave. Oh, no, I was a slave of sin. <laughs> You're male, female, bond or slave, rich or poor. None of that will be a discussion in the church of the living God. It is there, we're there by the grace of God. I've said this many times. When you study the cities of refuge, you never find anybody asking, why are you here? Because everybody knows. Sinners. Sinners. Why are you in church? Sinners. As Mike was going through that list of what the Jews expected out of the Messiah. You know, they wanted him to throw off the Romans, and he didn't want him dealing with the high priests, and he didn't want him dealing with the temple, and he didn't want him having supper with publicans and sinners. And he did it all. One more time, back in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Would you turn there? If there's any theme in the book of, Gal- book of Galatians, it could be said Paul is writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and wanting to dispel the idea that because you are a physical child of Abraham, you have a special in with God. As he goes through here, he just goes over and over that. It's not circumcision in the flesh. It is not being related to Abraham. It is not. It is not. It is not. It is being a child of God. It is being born again. It is being redeemed by Christ. All right, here in the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse uh, 14, the scriptures say this, but God forbid that we should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. But a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. I'm circumcised. I'm not. I follow the law. I don't. It's not going to avail anybody. goes on to tell us, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be unto them, and mercy upon the Israel of God. For henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So, he sums it all up. It's not circumcision, it's not uncircumcision, but a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's the new birth. And then, would you travel with me to the book of Hebrews as we close? The book of Hebrews chapter 8. The book of Hebrews chapter 8, and we want to start reading with verse 10. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. This is a covenant that is mentioned in the Old Testament. And the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, is using a text out of the Old Testament to preach the gospel to us. That's what they did. We don't need to be reminded that that's all they had was the Old Testament. And for a hundred years, that's all they had was the Old Testament. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws... In their mind. And write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. This is Israel and only spiritual Israel, that God ever did this. I think there are seven times in the book of Numbers alone that God's righteous, wrathful indignation is carried out, and thousands of people are, die as a result of it. In the book of Numbers. And he said to his people, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. If God should count iniquity, who shall stand? Well, it has to be that he's taken care of it, taken care of their sins and iniquity, and I will remember no more. New covenant. That in the, that he saith, a new covenant hath he made the, the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. He has said, there is no approaching me in a covenant of works. Only approaching me in Christ Jesus the Lord. Only. And so the difference that was between a very few in Israel and the host of Israel is the same we find among very few Gentiles and a host of Gentiles is Christ makes all the difference. Grace makes all the difference. There is a covenant of grace and there is going to be carried out to the very end that he will save a remnant according to the election of grace. Now, I, I firmly believe 
This is all that's going on there right now is working out for the furtherance of the gospel, for the salvation of his elect, somebody that would never have heard the gospel is going to hear it in some way, unbeknownst to us, and in eternity we can all rejoice together that he worked it out. He elected me as a dog catcher, and I was put into a position where I could hear the gospel. I went to war over in Israel, and God got me in contact with someone who knew the gospel. And that's what God does. He makes sure that all of his lost sheep come in contact with the true gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that we are dead in trespasses and sin, and it takes his power to raise us to newness of life. That's what he does. And that's why this world is working out the way it is. It has happened since the beginning. It will happen in the middle. It will happen in the end. And eventually... We will hear the fulfillment of those words that God made to Peter. I'm long-suffering to the church. He says, long-suffering to usward, but long-suffering to the church, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And when that all is taken care of, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, we will meet him in the air.